right. Well, grab your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians 2. We're going to be all over kind of this morning. And uh, if you're new today, normally we would just take a book of the Bible and, and walk through. But I want to press pause. We're going to get back into Exodus and the Ten Commandments actually over the fall, which will be really wonderful. But, uh, but normally for the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years of Fiddle Church, we've, we've basically said, let's, let's kind of reset our and recalibrate our compass towards what we're called to do. So we've talked about the gospel and what uh, God you know, requires of us in response to the gospel and things like that over the past years. But this year, I kind of want to reset even further and go back to even more basics. And I just want to talk to you about the church. Because I feel like we're at a time in the life of the church coming out of COVID and, you know, coming in and out and in and out and all that. Uh, it's really kind of messed with us and what we understand about the church and what we believe the church. In fact, if I were to say to you, take out a pen and pencil, whatever, and let's, I want you to write down a definition of a church. What is a local church? How would you define that? And some of you'd go, man, I, I don't even know where I'd start, right? There's been whole books written on that and I would commend that to you. But maybe you're like, I don't, I don't have a definition. I don't know how I, I even start with something like that. But, but let me just say this, whether you think you have a definition or whether you can write a definition, I wanna suggest to you that every person in here has a functional definition of the local church. They have certain, everybody has certain intuitions, assumptions that they make about what the local church is. And a lot of the ways you can know this is just listen to yourself talk about the local church. So now, again, I'm not criticizing anybody because I'm, I'm right here with you. I've done this, right? Some of you this morning might have said, hey, I'm going to church today. Or you would have said, I'm going inside. I mean, you know, you heard the come find a seat. You know, service starts in one minute. All right, I'm going to go inside church today, right? Here I go. And so what's the underlying assumption there? Church is a building. It's this place that you go into. In fact, if we ever sold this piece of property, you go, I cannot believe they're selling the church, right? Because that's, in your mind, what the church is. Uh, so you're going to look at things like facilities and you're going to look at things like the lights and, you know, it's, 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 it's you know, uh, d d is it tidy? Is it nice? You're thinking about this place in terms of a building or others of you, you might go uh, home today and somebody might say to you, how was church? Or you volunteer and say, man, church was, was terrible today. You know, man, that, that worship team or the pastor can't preach. Or you might say, man, church was awesome. It was amazing. You should have heard the worship. You should have heard the pastor preach. Or somewhere ever in between there, right? What assumptions are you making in talking like that? That church is a performance for you to enjoy. That somebody stands up here and talks to you, you sit there and you receive it, you're a spectator, and so what you're going to evaluate is the quality of their performance, right? Was the music loud or not? Was it, was it on or not? Did the preaching sort of move you, whatever? Did it, did it not? How did I feel as a spectator of this event that I go to? Some of you, like me, come out of a, a charismatic background. And so we would talk and we'd say things like this, man, we had church today. And what we meant by that is that we felt something. I felt the presence of God. I experienced maybe some sort of charismatic thing. Or, or so, so for me or for you, maybe when you thought about it, you think of church as this thing that you go to where it engages you to feel something. And if you don't feel it, you haven't been to church. If you do, man, you've been to church. Any of these, like, you feel this sometimes? That this is how church goes for you? 
Um, some of you will talk about church in terms of shopping, right? Hey, it's the beginning of the school year. We're kind of getting back to church. So we're kind of shopping around. Right? And you actually might even say those words that I'm shopping for a church. And so for you, it's like I'm looking for something. I'm a, I'm a buyer, I'm a consumer, and I'm looking for, it's like you know, going to find a car, and I, I look for the one that has all the options I like, right? It's, 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 it's what I need, it's, it's what I like, and, and as long as the church continues to cater to what I want, I'm in. When it doesn't, I'm out. And think about how it is so easy to be in or out of a church these days. Uh, I was reading a book by Jonathan Lehman and Colin Hansen, and, and, and listen to this. He says, we're not the first to observe that the automobile effectively ended church discipline for many churches. All of a sudden, someone could divorce his wife without cause and simply drive to a different neighborhood or town for church. That's convicting. This is some of your story. There are some of you in this room who have been Christians for 10, 20, 30 years or maybe listening who, are, who are, have been Christians for a long time and you can look and go, you know what? It got to a point with that church, either I got disciplined or I just didn't like what was going, so I just drove to another church. I'm now on church number five in my Christendom, right? In my, in my Christianity, I, I'm, I'm now, I've hopped over every, about every five to seven years, I move on, I get bored, I find a better church. What are you doing? Church is some, it's a product you get to decide on, you buy, you're the consumers, and so you are deciding all the time whether or not it has all the things that cater to your needs. Some of you are a little more, you know, up with the times. And so what you like to do is, man, you just, you just realize we live in an amazing era and there are way better preachers than Chris out there or any other church in town. And so, man, I can tune in to my guy and I can listen to this guy who's, you know, a thousand miles away or something like that. And he's incredible. And then I can switch to another channel and I can get this amazing worship like no local church can hold a candle to. And I can curate my own private worship experience. And that's what I need. And I've gone to church. Some of you are in schools where they have a chapel. And so you go to chapel and go, I've been to church. Why? Because the information was exchanged. There was a preacher, there was worship. Sometimes they even baptized people at those places. I've been to church. Do you hear yourself, like, do you see what I'm talking about? See the intuitions, the kind of assumptions we bring to what it is, what is a church? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. What is he promising there? Is he promising a private, curated, personal worship experience? Is he promising you a building is he promising you an event that you can spectate? Is he promising you that you can now find a place that caters to all your personal needs? Is he promising you a chapel at school? What in the world is Jesus promising? Or is he promising something that is way more glorious and way more messy? See, I want to suggest he is. And it all comes back to what is our definition? How do we think about the church? Because hear me, how you conceive of the church has everything to do with how you relate to the church. 
and how the church relates to you. And so all I want to do today is really help us understand that. Now, let me, let me do a little bit of a clarification for you. When the Bible talks about the church, it talks about it in sort of two different ways. And I'm just going to kind of give you the big theological categories. There's, there's one way it talks about it where it, it talks about the universal church. That is, if you've ever recited the Apostles' Creed, I believe in one holy Catholic church. It's not talking about Roman Catholic, okay? That's a different, that's a whole different altogether. It's, it's a capital C Catholic, which means universal church. This is the invisible church of God throughout the ages. You don't know who they are. Only Jesus knows who they are. But they're there, right? And so we know that we believe that there is this united body from around the world through all of human history that makes up this invisible thing called the universal church. That's not what I'm talking about today. Because there's this other way that the Bible talks about it, and that is the local church. Paul didn't write ambiguous letters to the ether of invisible people. He wrote to every single letter he wrote was to an embodied, physical, local church. And he has a lot to say about it. And how it's important that we belong and how we're a part of a local church. John Stott is a, a, was a, a British minister and, uh, you know, the Brits the, uh, are, are not known for hyperbole and talking in great exaggeration, right? They want to be measured in their words and, and uh, listen to what he said in writing about the, 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 the local church. Um, he says, he says that, that, uh, that, 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 that an unchurched Christian is a grotesque anomaly, the New Testament knows nothing of such a person for the church lies the very center of the eternal purposes of God. It is not a divine afterthought. Listen to me. There, there is no such thing. Read your New Testament. You will not find one example of a New Testament Christian that says, I don't belong to a local church or I'm sort of doing things on my own. Okay? So that's really what I want to focus on. So when I say, what's a church? I'm talking about the local church. How would you define, how would we define a local church? Now, here's the thing. If you open up your Bible and you read your New Testament and you hear that people talk about the New Testament church, they, they never give us this comprehensive definition. Again, books written about it that can walk you through that and help, you, help, you, help give you. What I want you to see is, the, is that the New Testament's gonna use all kinds of metaphors. It's like a diamond. Think of the church like a diamond and a diamond has all these facets, right? And I can turn it and it hits the light this way or that way. Well, think of the church that way. It's this diamond and you can turn it and this facet shows you this and this and this and this and you, as you turn it, you're seeing various parts of it. That's all I want to do. There's about 12, 13 different ways that the New Testament's going to talk about the, the, the church. What I want to do is just give you three, okay? I'm not going to give you 13 of them. I want to give you three, and then I want to show you the implications of those, okay? So what is a local church? What are some of the ways the New Testament talks about it? And the first thing I want you to see is the local church is an embassy of heaven. It's an embassy of heaven. Now, let me show you where I get that. If you were to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, and again, I'm gonna give you a bunch of verses this morning. Just, if you wanna just jot them down, that's fine. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So this is Paul straight up saying, I'm an ambassador. What's an ambassador? What's an ambassador connected to? An embassy. 
An ambassador is one with the authority to speak for the home country, for the home leadership, if you will, okay? So here's Paul saying, man, I'm coming to you as one who has that authority and I'm imploring you be reconciled to God. Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews says, these all died in faith, talking about that great hall of faith in Hebrews 11, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus, make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And then look at, you're already in Ephesians 2, look at, look at verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens within the kingdom of God, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So put all this together and what is it? We are this outpost. This is the, somebody said, the geography of heaven is right in this room. Do you know this? This is an embassy. This is a place where people touch the soil of heaven. This is a place where people speak the authority of heaven. This is the place where the people of heaven gather in this common place knowing this is not our home. An embassy sits inside of a foreign country. But it's still the soil of the homeland. Do you know that? Do you know that if you walk into an embassy today, like walk into an American embassy in Lebanon and they're gonna tell you, you are standing on American soil. This is America. And those of us from America go, well, no, it doesn't look like America, right? But you see what I'm saying? We're an embassy of heaven. Now, what are the implications of this? Let me give you several. First of all, uh, um, I think it means that a church is full of ambassadors, not consumers, right? That means that we come together, we have a job to do, not just stuff to consume, not just information to receive. So do you know that? Do you know that when you come together with other people, you're not here for yourself. You're here as a representative of the king. You go out into the culture, not to live for yourself, but as a representative of the king, and of that kingdom, and we live by his rules. The second thing, I think, is that we filter everything through the law of that king, right? In other words, ambassadors and embassies don't make the law. Ambassadors and embassies don't make the policy. It's already made for them. They simply carry it out. That's exactly what's happening. What's our policy? What's our law? It's the word of God, isn't it? And so to the extent that this word runs contrary to the surrounding culture, which one wins? The word of God every time. People look at us and go, man, you live by a different set of rules. Because we look and say, hey, our king made the rules and our king knows best. Christian, do you live like that? When you go out into the culture and they're, they're pulling us in ways with our money and our sexuality and our power and our employment and all of these things where the culture is going to say, go this way, are we swimming with the stream or are we going upstream? We live by the law of the king. We look and say our king knows best. The next thing I think is it means we announce his good news and we proclaim his judgments, right? So what happens when we come to church, right? We hear the good news and how it works out in our lives, but we also say, hey, there's good news and Jesus Christ has saved us, but now that means that we live in accordance with the law of his land and we pronounce his judgments 
there is coming a day or, or, or even to one another. We cannot live like that. We have to walk in obedience. And so what do we do? We realize that his judgments are right and we align our lives. And so as a, as a people, as a gathered people of God, we, we come under that and say, man, we're gonna, we're gonna get in line with that. But what happens is that happens to me individually, right? I, I listen or hear somebody preaches the word. I'm convicted. I wanna conform my life. What am I saying in repentance? Repentance. What am I saying in personal repentance and obedience? I, uh, he knows best. I follow him, not my own rules. And obedience to God's law is simply showing, manifesting to everybody around us that we live by a different set of rules. We're going to be weird. We're going to be strange. There's going to be things about us that ought to be very uh, across the grain and against the grain of the culture. Do you know that? B- because we're an embassy. We are living in the geography of heaven right now, living that out before other people. But then lastly, I think it means we make the invisible kingdom visible, right? Isn't that what happens? Like we, we, we look and we say, man... When, when, when you walk into an embassy, like the idea of America, if I live over in Lebanon, I, I hear about America, let's say, but then I walk into the embassy and suddenly I'm like, okay, here it is. I hear different language. I see different customs. People might dress a little bit differently than I do. I'm gonna see them operating by a different set of laws. Now, when I step in and they tell me, you are now on American soil, am I in America? And the answer is yes and no. Legally, I'm in America. I'm, I'm, I'm there. This is their soil. It's governed by their laws. They're speaking their language. They're following their rules. But no, I guess I'd say in this sense, it's not America. There's no national parks inside of an embassy. I don't care how beautiful it is. I can't experience all the glory of America or any country inside their embassy. Do you, do you see where I'm going? Like our disappointment with the local church. See, most people have no problem with the universal church. Amen, praise God, I belong to the universal church. It's the local church we have the problem with. Why? Because it doesn't seem to reflect what it's supposed to so often. But if we're an embassy, do you see why? It's not heaven. We're looking for that someday. Like here we are representing our homeland inside of here, but it's not heaven. But what people ought to see is they walk in when they live next door to you, when they observe your life, when you're at work, even as Steve talked this morning, the way we use our money is so different. The way we, we carry ourselves is so different that people's like, that's, man, there's just something different about you. Lucas, several months ago, sent everybody on staff an article, and um, I want to preface this. So I'm gonna, you know, there was a, there was a, a pastor in, in New York City who was kind of one of these celebrity pastors that a lot of people knew about named Carl Lentz. He pastored Hillsong, New York, and uh, I'm not picking on him this morning. I simply just want to, I'm, I'm using this to, so, you, so you hear what this person says. He sent us this article from a guy named Ben Sixsmith, and uh, Ben is not uh, a, a believer. By his own admission, he's not a believer. Uh, I believe he would count himself an, an atheist. 
but he wrote an article called The Sad Irony of Celebrity Pastors. Now, I don't want to pick on Carl Lentz. I want you to sort of look at this and go, how does this hit me? Okay, this is how Ben Sixsmith ended his article. He said this, I'm not religious, so it's not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their belief should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there's nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. That sadly appears to have been true of Lentz and his celebrity acquaintances. Christian, do you understand what we lose? What we lose when, I'm not saying we live as jerks in the midst of the culture. We rail against it and berate people. That isn't the kind of talk, uh, the thing uh, that the Bible's gonna advocate. It is simply saying, if, if they don't see a winsome difference about it, what are we calling them to? Then all they get is some lame version, Christianized version of the culture. Rather than, man, there's, you're different, and I want to be a part of that. We are an embassy of heaven. We represent a king, and we have a job to do. That's the first thing. The second thing is the local church. The other metaphor, one of the main metaphors the Bible is going to use, the local church is a temple. It's a temple. So, so listen to this. In, in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, you're right there already. So then you're no longer strangers. Then skip down to verse 20. Members of the house called built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's a temple. Notice this, by the way, this is speaking to a church. This is speaking to a people, not to an individual, okay? All of the things I'm going to show you right now, these scriptures, every you that you see, every verb of command that you see is in the plural, not the singular. That's super important that we as Americans get this. Okay, so listen to what what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. Do you not know that you are the temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? He's not talking to individuals. He's talking to a church, you plural. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and y'all are that temple. That's the idea. That's all of us. We are the temple. Now, if you trace the history of what the temple is in Scripture, this is the special, you might say, dwelling place of God for his people. This is where God manifests his presence. Now, that's critical because here's what we would say. The Bible's going to teach, we as Orthodox Christians believe, that, that um, God is omnipresent, right? You understand what that means? He's everywhere all at once, Right? He is in New York City and London and he's in Alpha Centauri and right here in this room and with you in your car and in your workplace. He's everywhere. In fact, I would be so bold as to tell you, according to Psalm 139 and elsewhere, if God is everywhere, he's even in hell. Now let me explain that for you've stoned me. God is not everywhere in the same way. 
So Psalm 139 is going to tell us, if I ascend to the heavens, you're there. If I descend into Sheol, you're there. What's the difference? It's how God manifests himself. In hell, God manifests himself with wrath and fury and condemnation and punishment. But the temple is the place where God comes to bless and to be present and manifestly so with his people. So for 15 years now, almost 15 years, uh, since I came to Foothill Church, uh, this has just been like every week, and I kid you not, every single week, the staff of Foothill Church, in whatever form the staff has taken, we have prayed faithfully for God's presence to be among us when we gather as a church. What are we praying? Are we praying just for God to do what God does, be everywhere at once? No. We're praying that God's presence would be manifested that you really would feel the presence of God in this place. There really would be a difference because God is manifesting himself differently. Now, if that's the case, then, then what difference does it make? What does it mean for us? So let me give you some implications of the fact that we are the temple of God. It means that the presence of God is different when the church gathers. Now, I'm going to show you this here in a second. Um, so again, praise God. I can affirm with you when you leave here today, God's going to go with you. When you get up in the morning, God is with you. When you drive to work tomorrow, God's going to be with you. He's going to be with you at work all day long. If you're a believer in Jesus, God is with you. He is. And I don't want to take away from that. What I want to suggest to you is that God is different and it's, he is specially present in the gathering of his people in ways that cannot be replicated in your quiet time in the car or in the morning or listening online or anything like that. There are certain things that happen when God's people gather where he is, he is more manifestly present, maybe I could say. So, so listen, to, listen to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, okay? Plural. Y'all be filled with the Spirit. I grew up believing that was a verse for individuals. That was a command on my life. Personally, I must have this, what was called the fullness of the Spirit. Now listen, I'm not denigrating that. That's not what this verse is saying. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You're the one another's doing this for each other. Where do all of these things happen? The church. Where do you sing? The church. Like that'd be weird to meet at a restaurant and do this with other believers. We sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our heart. All these things happen in the church. So where is the fullness of the Spirit? The church. See, I, I, I believe if you are a believer in Jesus, you're full of the Spirit. You're not, you're not, you don't just have an arm or a leg. Like God's Spirit dwells in you. Hear me though. You don't have all the gifts that the Spirit brings. 
That means we all have to come together to experience what we would understand to be the fullness of the Spirit. So what I mean? It means that there's something different when God's people gather about the presence of God. You cannot get this on your own. Listen, I was away, right, for a couple of weeks. Michelle and I were up in this area. We were in this gorgeous setting, redwoods surrounding us. I'm sitting outside. I'm by a fire. I'm listening to this podcast of this great preacher that I love. And, and he's preaching to me, man, and I am hearing it. And I am, I feel like, man, I am, I am, God is speaking to me. And I'm, I'm kind of getting teary-eyed, like he is convicting me of some things. And then listen, that happens. Praise God. But that can't hold a candle to, to the kind of work God is doing when we all gather together, I, I, listen, that was a wonderful time. But whether I feel it or not, see, that's, this is key. Whether I feel that you know, special quiver in my liver or I don't, God is more present in this moment than he is with you alone with your Bible. That's what God does. Because we are a temple. We are a temple of God. But here's the other thing I think it means. I think it means that the real action is out there, not here. It's in the pews, not the platform. See, I, th I think you, you don't think that. I know I didn't grow up thinking that. That's the dude who's got the special anointing. He's got this sort of presence of God aura around him. I assure you, just ask my children, that isn't true. If in fact we are all a temple, if in fact Peter is right that we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, he didn't say there's one priest who then sort of sends the grace of God down your way from the altar. He said we are a royal priesthood and we go to Jesus and we are the one. So that means the action is all down here. And if I do anything, it is simply to point that out. And to tell you, this is what God has made us to be, the temple of God. Listen to Matt Merker. He wrote a book on this and he says, I felt that too, I fear that too often evangelicals view the church as a place where the worship on a stage washes over the rest of us like an emotional force field. Right? You ever felt that? It's as if we want to replicate a concert venue or like we're after the experience of a Roman Catholic mass where sacramental grace flows down to the people from the altar via the priest. Since we are God's temple, church members already enjoy union with Christ and one another by his spirit. The pew is the platform. We are a kingdom of priests offering praise to our God through the soul mediation of Christ. This is what we do. So do you get this? It's not, it's not me just, you know, or whoever's standing up here preaching or leading worship. It's that we come together. We are being built together into a holy dwelling for God through his spirit, for his spirit. We're a temple. We're an embassy. We're a temple. But let me give you one last thing. We are the body of Christ. Now, this is probably Paul's favorite metaphor and he uses it over and over again. So, so let me just, I'm just gonna kind of rat, rattle through these verses here just so you hear how often this happens. Romans chapter 12, for as in one body we have many members and the members do not at all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual, individually members of one another. 1 Corinthians 10, 17, we who are many are one body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, just as the one body is, the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body 
body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Chapter, uh, verse 27, you are the body of Christ, individually members of it. Ephesians 4, equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Ephesians 5, Christ is the head of the body of the church, his body, and himself its Savior. Verse 30, we are members of Christ's body. Body, 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 you are, we are the body of Christ. And the body needs the head. But hear me, I don't think a lot of us actually believe this. The head needs the body. Do you know this? Jesus never denigrates the body. He never says, church, Peter, Paul, Simon, any of you, all you need is me as the head, forget about the body. He has condescended in such a way to say, part of my eternal purposes will not happen apart from the body of Christ. So, so, so we, we can't do as so many modern Christians do where we go, hey, you know what? All I need, I got Jesus. I don't need the local church. I just walk around with the decapitated head of Jesus and I'm fine without the body. <laughs> you are a grotesque anomaly if that's you, right? So what does this mean? Let me just give you one thing and we'll be done here. It means we gather because we need each other. Do you notice? I mean, I didn't read this, but Paul's going to go on in 1 Corinthians 12 to sort of talk about this whole, just read it sometime. The whole metaphor of the body. Hey, the ears can't say to the eye, I don't need you. The hand can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, he's going to go on to basically say, if the whole body was a hand, that's weird. That can't happen. If the whole body were an eye, no, no, every part needs to work together. I need you, you need me, we need each other. There are no irrelevant, insignificant Christians in the body of Christ, none. But the way a lot of you behave is just that. What COVID has done is just that. Let's just scatter and never come back. And let's stay on the periphery. I don't have to be plugged into this body. Hear me. One of the things the local church should do is undermine your and my innate self-centeredness. Like there should be something that makes me uncomfortable because I come to church and they're asking me, they're telling me that I can't just live alone and there should be vital connections between me and other people. Listen, I don't like that. I am, I am an introvert. I like my alone time. Let me make a prediction for you. In fact, just... Let's all walk back for a moment. Let's walk back to that day we probably all remember in March of 2020. You see where we're at? It's the beginning of COVID. We're all being told we have to stay home. We can't go to church anymore. And I want you to fast forward now to today. If I would have told you then what I'm gonna tell you now, if I would have told you in 18 months, if you want to be farther from God, if you want to feel alienated from his people, you want to feel maybe suspicious about his people, if you, if you want to feel a sense of anxiety about your life, then here's all you need to do. 
Just stay home. Stay away from the people of God. Stay away from the gathering of God's assembly. What if I'd have told you 18 months ago, do that and man, you'll get everything you wish for. You will be distant. You'll be suspicious. You'll wonder if anybody cares. You'll probably be wrestling with anxiety, all kinds of issues. So let me say it to you today. If that's what you want, if that's what you want out of your life, if you're really hoping that you can feel farther from God and, and more suspicious of his people and you want to kind of feel this alienation, then just do it. Stay away. Or come maybe once a month and then sneak out early and don't engage with anybody and kind of stay on the periphery. And I promise you, I promise you, you will feel far from God. But what if you want the opposite? I want to be close to Jesus. I want to walk with him all my days. I want to fellowship with his people. I want to have an intimacy with the Lord. Then hear me. You will clear your calendar for this right here. You will not let anything come in the way of this. You will set time aside you will serve, you will engage. And now let me make you another promise. You do that, you will have everything you hope for in the Christian life and more. You wanna follow in the footsteps of the most mature, godly saints through the ages? Then you will connect yourself to a local church, to an embassy, to a temple, to the body. See, so let, me, let me just say it this way. None of us, none of us will get the church we want. Every person in this place, there are idiots, there are things you wished we emphasized that we don't or don't that we do. There's things, there's, there's things you don't like about the guy sitting next to you. You know, this person's a little bit difficult. None of us get the church we want. But every one of us gets the church we need. Every single one, all that friction, all that hardship that we work our way through where we don't get in our car and drive to a church across town because we can is God's means for you. Man, I'm looking, gosh. I'm looking at the good ones and the lulls and the marsalas. Like, I kid you not, between those three couples, you have over a hundred years at Foothill Church. I was a stupid young pastor when I came here. That made a lot of bonehead decisions. And there they are week after week, year, decade after decade after decade. Listen, this is how we grow. I'm just telling you right now, there is no growth apart from this. Do, do we want this or do you want to be farther? Do you want to be alienated? Do you want to feel like, man, I don't have any, I, I, I don't even know where I am spiritually, then just stay. I'm not just saying Foothill Church, stay away from the church.
Go do your own thing. But if you want it, man, engage. Step in. This is what I'm going to be a part of. I'm going to commit to this. We don't get the church we want. Every one of us gets the church we need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. And we thank you. Uh, we thank you for your church. Jesus, this is the only institution in the world that you shed your blood for. This is the only institution in the world that you promised to build yourself. You didn't promise that for a school, for a chapel. You didn't promise that for a, for a, a, a nonprofit religious organization. You promised it for the church and the church alone. And so God, help us to be people. Help the Christians in this room to be people who don't, who don't denigrate the very bride that you died for. That God, instead, we would commit to her, be a part of her, be engaged with her, realizing that, that, that apart from it, we are a grotesque anomaly, that this is part of your eternal purposes being played out in our lives. Help us, God, as we walk together as a body, a broken body, a place that very often doesn't represent our heavenly country well. It doesn't look like it. Oh, it's gonna be glorious. And so many times our brokenness and sinfulness and unwillingness to be obedient to you doesn't represent you well. But God, in some way, there is a dim reflection of heaven happening in this place and in gospel preaching churches all over. And so we pray for them, God. I pray for First Baptist Church of Glendora and I pray for Glen Kirk and I pray for Cornerstone and I pray for Grace Church. God, I pray for these churches that are, are this morning standing up and preaching the word that God, you would build those churches and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.